Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So uh, my husband helpfully, once in a while, listens to the show. And this is like kind of a hot romantic night starts at the O'Mara Mulvey household. He says, so... Do you, do you want to hear my thoughts on the show? <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> and uh, so it's helpful when I start out like, hey, so why did Bernie say, you know, that, that, that. And he'll say, so you want to hear my thoughts on the show? And so one of his thoughts was, what the heck is ACOR? <laughs> so he's like, I don't feel like I know enough about what ACOR is. I'm like, well, you definitely don't know what ACOR is. But maybe because ACOR is not a thing. That's not a thing. But what about APOR? And Krista actually was live on the scene at APOR. Maybe you met her. I was. So thank you to all of our listeners who came up to me at APOR and said hello and said such nice things about the show. Um, I felt very loved. And I emailed Margie after the first day and was like, you need to come next year because... There are so many people who love our show at this event. I felt we loved to, by email. Yeah, we need to, we need to go and do like a pollsters thing at APOR next year. Yes. Uh, so I don't even know where it is next year. I think it's in New Orleans. Oh, that's good. Good job. Yeah. APOR so maybe we'll have we'll take pollsters folks. on the road to uh, to the APOR conference. Um, but it was a lot of fun. A lot of great panels. Um, three cheers to all of you who attended the Survey Monkey party on Friday night. Um, it was not the full Margie O'Mero Austin experience, but some of y'all have some that was pretty wise. strong livers. So, so <laughs> um, and Justin, so this is the American Association for Public Opinion Research for that's those what stands for. who don't know or have forgotten or don't listen to the show very regularly. Um, and Kristen interviewed a bunch of folks, so you're, we're going to have we're going to release those interviews over the next few weeks. Yeah, the, the, our Monday uh, interview episode, uh, either this coming week or next week. Um, I'll give like a summary of, of sort of what I heard at APOR. And then we have an interview with David Rothschild of Microsoft Research. Um, he had a lot to say about non-probability research and how you can do things like a survey of Xbox users via the Xbox and then weight that data extensively. But because you have such a big data set, you can actually get really accurate results. Fascinating stuff. Huge generational debates within the polling community about like, are we ready to move on from traditional probability-based polling? And can we start using new methods uh, to take 
non-probability polling and make it work like probability polling. And, cool. and last but not least, we talked on the show about a week or two ago about this Pew study of all of the online oh, panels. Yes. And so there was a morning session on Friday that was all about the Pew study and Scott Keeter, friend of the show, gave a little talk. And he did not divulge who Sample I was. And everybody wanted to know who Sample I was. So if you missed last week's show, Sample I is basically uh, Pew tested a whole bunch of different um, online survey vendors, Sample A, Sample B, Sample C, Sample D, and found that Sample I was significantly better than the rest on accuracy on a bunch of different metrics. But they very nicely were keeping everything secret so that all of these people would work with them. But of course, Sample I outed themselves because they were like, yes. We are We're super accurate. One. We're number one. That and it was I stands YouGov. for number one. <laughs> Sample I was YouGov, so congratulations, YouGov. I, that was my suspicion, and I also selfishly hoped that it was them because I used them for a lot of projects. So I was like, yes, good job, YouGov. Kudos to you all. Uh, so anyhow, Sample I, the mystery was solved by lunch on like the first full day of the conference. That's good. Did you go to the one about, there was a panel about a question wording around abortion. Did you go to that one? I did not go to that one. Uh, so that one, we're going to find out a little information because the mayor of Tacoma Park was on that panel. Really? Yes. So Kate Stewart, we're going to have her on the show. I went up to her. She was at our my voting location during the Maryland primary. And I went up to her. I'm like, I sent you an email. And she had this look like, oh, no, what? <laughs> trash pickup story are you about to tell me <laughs> and I'm like I have the, the polling podcast she's like oh okay <laughs> and so she said that she was going to be at APOR and she works in healthcare polling and there was going to be a panel with uh, a variety of other folks about a new way to talk about uh, to ask about abortion as opposed to the four point more of a three point anyway so I won't we'll have to excellent, follow up with her excellent. Yeah. well yeah I, I mean there were so many good sessions um, the one thing that I felt like was missing this year that I loved in years past was more about how you can use things like social media media or Google trends to infer things about public opinion and um, there wasn't as much of that as I remember from 2012 when I went last time. So maybe next year, maybe next year we'll have some more fun stuff like that. But overall, saw a lot of great research, loved meeting you all, um, exciting stuff. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the top lines for this week. Uh, first, we've got a race here on our hands in the general election. Trump and Clinton surprisingly close, and Trump now has a pollster. We will discuss whether or not this means Donald Trump will become a totally normal candidate. <laughs> LOL. Uh, and is Trump actually expanding the electorate, and can a third-party candidate really make this an interesting race, more interesting than it already is? Uh, finally, if you were in Austin at APOR, you were probably missing out on Uber. How do people feel about ride-sharing and other sharing economy services? And finally, congratulations, graduates. We hope you got some nice gifts. We'll take a look at polling around what people are buying for graduates this graduation season. So the poll of the week first, and this just came out this morning. And you guys can probably tell we're not in any of our lovely sound booths or closets today. We're in a hotel hallway sitting by a window so that's why we sound a little echoey but this was the kind of day where part of the script was done by phone screenshots <laughs> from a plane because that's all the travel that Kristen and I have been doing but um, there has been a poll this morning by the Washington Post of Native Americans 
to ask how they feel about the name Washington Redskins, which is obviously a lot of controversy here in Washington. Is the name offensive to Native Americans? There have been other teams that have changed their name. Schools have changed their name over the years. This is one of the, I think, one of the last big examples of that, or at least where there's been a lot of controversy. And so the poll um, asked a few questions about it, and it was actually, and so I thought a couple things were interesting about it. First, the difference between is it an offensive, the responses on is it an offensive term, would you, you know, how would you feel if you were called redskin by someone who is not Native American, and how much does the team name bother you, which all have slightly different responses. So about a fifth of Native Americans say actually the word redskin is disrespectful, slightly fewer, just a hair fewer, say they would be offended. And actually even fewer say that it would they'd be bothered um, by, they're bothered by the name Redskin for Washington team. Um, and so the release went out, you know, 91% say they wouldn't really be that bothered, which was you know, certainly, a, I guess, quite a proof point for Dan Snyder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, this is something that had become a controversy to the point where didn't, like, the U.S. Senate weigh in on this at one point? Or, like, there was a letter from Harry Reid or somebody yeah. like that saying, like, oh, we think you should change the name. 91% of Native Americans surveyed said that they are not bothered by the name. Yeah. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty interesting. And and I guess, you know, the argument is not everybody needs to be bothered by it for it still to be problematic, which I think is a, is a reasonable point to make. But still, nonetheless, I think this is a pretty interesting part of the conversation. Um, and also, I wanted to take a look at the methodology because I thought, well, you know, if you ask people their ethnicity, you have a lot of people saying that they are Native American. Is there something in the methodology that would make it seem like this group is over-reporting or they're more assimilated Native Americans. So um, so I looked into the methodology and the way they did it is they, um, they did it over time. So they looked at national surveys and the people who said as their primary identification Native American. And so that's usually not a whole lot of people in your average survey, just a couple, right? And they would just add those people over time. So then if you said yes to that, or if you said, what's your race or ethnicity, and you said Native American, they would ask you these few follow-up questions. And then they would just add to that because there were only a couple people per survey. So it took them months to get 500 interviews. And I actually think that's a quite a good way to do it because you're not asking people, well, are you Native American, where you'd have a lot of people say, well, sure, because I think I have a great-grandmother who's Native American. I mean, these are folks, and that's their primary identity. So I think that's a really quite good way to get this group. Um, so it's pretty interesting. I think it's – I haven't seen any polling, of national polling of Native Americans on any topic other than demographics, I think, ever. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Well, good poll of the week. Well, so then what are the big questions we are looking at for 2016 as the race has evolved in the last week? What's new? <laughs> well, on the Democratic side, I mean, there was, you know, two primaries this past week um, in Kentucky and in Oregon. Uh Oregon went to Sanders. Kentucky was close, but it went to Clinton. Um, there was a lot of controversy over what's been happening in Nevada, back and forth over delegates and emails and harassing emails. And it, it seems like there's been quite a change in the tone of how Democrats are viewing the Sanders campaign um, and that from establishment folks and the media. I, I don't know, looking at the data, looking at the polling for an answer on 
is Sanders staying in the race? Has that hurt Clinton? I don't know if I have enough, any more data than I did last week to look at that. I mean, you still see, um, you know, I mean, the fact that Clinton's favorables uh, have not, you know, they might be getting a little bit worse. His might be getting a little bit better nationally with the general election audience. I don't really see evidence that that's because of what's been going on in the primary. Um, if you look at the national Democratic primary, that actually has been widening. Where in Clinton's favor, it narrowed a few weeks ago, but it's now widening again. Um, so, uh, you know, I think you see a lot more heat coming out of the Trump campaign than you do out of the Sanders campaign, certainly from the candidates' voices themselves. So I think there's the process debate, but then there's the, you know, what's going on with voters writ large. And I think the process debate is in a completely different place from sort of where things are going nationally, where Clinton still, to me, seems much stronger, not hurt by anything that Sanders is doing. I don't know. What, I don't know. What do you think about what? Yeah, it's it's hard to disentangle, you know, okay, if if Trump is now gaining on Clinton, what is causing that to happen? Is it because Clinton is getting weaker? Certainly, if you look at the Huffington Post pollster chart, Trump's numbers, general election numbers here on this chart, like the trend line actually shows them kind of, you know, it's he's he's at about 39 percent. It's kind of a little bit wobbly, but it's Clinton that's had a really big drop off in the last uh, month or so. But is that because you now have Trump, he's locked up the nomination, so there were Republicans who were saying Clinton because they were hashtag never Trump, but now they've actually come home? Is it because of the, the continued sort of contest with Sanders? Is it something else? I mean, there's it's, it's hard to know what is causing that at this point. Right. But certainly in the general election, we now have a much closer race on our hands than we were expecting. As I mentioned last week, you know, there was that Quinnipiac poll that showed things were close. And now I believe you've had um, a couple more polls come out in the last week or so that have things close. Donald Trump now loves Rasmussen because Rasmussen is showing him doing pretty well. Um, but this this general election matchup, it has gotten closer. We just can't with any real certainty say why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, now people are turning to, I mean, here you still have people coalescing and thinking that Clinton's going to be the nominee. One question that you now see in the polls is, who should be her VP pick if she's the nominee? Um, so uh, PPP asked that. Or was that PPP or Rasmussen? Yeah, Rasmussen asked that. And not surprisingly, Sanders came out top on that list, but second is Elizabeth Warren, and then third place is uh, Julian Castro, and then further down the list is Cory Booker and Martin O'Malley, and the list is pre-selected. You could say other, but it was pre-selected, um, that list, and so as opposed to, so like Tim Kaine, it was in, doesn't look like he, Tim Kaine's in the list, for example. Um, so, uh, you know, these are some of the considerations that are going to go on in the Clinton campaign. You see, saw a story in USA Today about what their thoughts are in terms of uh, VP shortlist and also reaching out to the Sanders team. Um, we'll see some of this evolve. It's kind of it's a little bit tricky to, to find it in a poll. There was a Gallup poll about how millennials and this is just overall millennials, not just Democratic voting millennials. They like Sanders, but they also really dislike the election process. They feel frustrated with the process. And I don't know if that's a response to what's going on in this particular election cycle or they would feel that way regardless. I mean, this I, and a lot of people dislike this election process yeah. this time around, but, but they, they seem to feel a little bit more keenly than uh, older folks, probably because they don't have that kind of yeah. breadth of past experience. But 
still, none of it seems as cuckoo as what's going on on the Republican side. Well, so the Republican side, if you take a look at the Republican Party's favorable ratings, uh, things are not looking great. Uh, as of the most recent Huffington Post pollster average, uh, 62% of Americans have an unfavorable view of the Republican Party compared to only 48% with an unfavorable view of the Democratic Party. Those Democratic numbers have been pretty stable for the last while, whereas Republicans have seen a pretty sharp uptick in unfavorable lately. At the same time, the question is now, who runs the Republican Party? Is this Paul Ryan's party or is this Donald Trump's party? And at the same time that more and more Americans are disliking the GOP, more and more GOP voters are saying, we are the party of Trump, not the party of Paul Ryan. Now, again, this is PPP, my favorite troll pollster. <laughs> this, isn't, this is not a troll poll on the level of, like, who do you like better, Donald Trump or a hangnail? But right. it's, you know, it feels like it's trolling me personally. <laughs> That, you know, who, who runs your party, Donald Trump or Paul Ryan? And here in PPP's poll, National Poll of Republicans, they find that only 30% approve that the job that he's doing as Speaker of the House, 48% disapprove, um, that 40% of them uh, who approve of the job he's doing, uh, that his... Oh, he, even with Rep- even Republicans. Even among Republicans, yeah. um, with 40% of them approving of the job he's doing to 44% who are unhappy, um, this is a drop from in November when he first started. Uh, and then, you know, they they find that Trump's brand is just significantly better among these folks. Um, so really, this is, I think, a frustrating finding for people who think, well, no, but Paul Ryan really represents the party. This is now the party of Trump. And 62% of Americans are not fans of the party of Trump. So then what's going to happen in a general election? Well, first of all, the big news in, like, polling land is that Trump actually has a pollster now, Tony Fabrizio. Uh, he was a pollster for uh, Rick Scott. Um, I remember hearing about Tony because my former boss, David, used to work for Fabrizio McLaughlin, which was a firm Tony Fabrizio and I think John McLaughlin had back in like the, I think like the early 2000s it must have been, or the late 90s. Um, so I've been hearing about, I've never met Tony Fabrizio, but he is, he's now on the, uh, the, the Trump train. And I'll be interested to see if who else joins on. So for instance, Kellyanne Conway, who's been a guest host of the show, had been Cruz's pollster, but on TV lately has Cruise been saying, Super Pack pollster. Cruz Super Pack, Cruz Super Pack pollster. Um, that's right, Chris Wilson was Cruz's mm. campaign pollster. Um, but Kellyanne's been saying some nice things about Trump on TV, so uh, if, I, if I'm betting on who else winds up in the Trump polling game, former The Pollster's co-host Kellyanne. Conway could be on that list. Well, you know, I particularly loved the Politico story that announced this, the Fabrizio, you know, Trump finally has a pollster, because obviously, as folks have been listening, he just talks about polls, he tweets about polls, he's, he's obsessed with them, obsessed with them. he hates them, that's like the main thing that's in common with uh, Bernie Sanders, is their kind of weird love-hate relationship with polling. Um but the story said Fabrizio is the kind of guy that if he was a doctor, he would tell you, you're going to die. <laughs> That's perfect. That is I am going to die if Trump becomes president. So I want someone to just tell me I'm going to die. And I guess it's this guy, you know. But then I went back to look at the story, and that quote is not in there anymore. Oh, so no. I don't know what happened. I wonder if the guy who gave that quote is like, take that quote out. Like, why would you take that out? That's such a perfect quote. That's just a perfect. Well, and that's thing. a good thing for pollsters. I mean, this is always a big debate you have: is that a lot of people don't.
don't like hearing bad news. And so it can be a good business model to be a pollster who sugarcoats things. And it's like, well, you have some challenges, but they're totally surmountable. Like the data says, everyone hates you. You should not even bother running. Right. right? There's a path, you know. We could totally fix this. Um, You know, people don't like hearing bad news. So sometimes it can be good for a pollster business-wise to be someone that like delivers news softly or stays optimistic even perhaps in against the, what the data suggests um Tony Fabrizio doesn't sound like that guy no no he'll tell you nope everyone hates you yeah it's true I mean it, this is something we don't talk about people ask us this question like we don't talk about kind of internal workings of the biz but Kristen's right I mean I you know I've gone to places and I had it worked on a I worked on a race where we did a lot of polling and they all showed us down no matter what we did no matter what we did for, against the opponent what we did about ourselves nothing no matter what television ads we did nothing it all it all went we were just doing terribly and so right before the end the candidate's like i don't trust your numbers i trust this guy's numbers because he says i'm gonna win yep and that guy did not win so this is the kind of thing that happens you know pretty commonly where you know if you go into a presentation you're like here, I have these results, and you're up five points. They're like, you, this is fantastic. I'm like, well, I didn't, I'm not the reason you're up five points. Like, that's because of something else. Like, you get, you know, you get a lot of credit when the numbers are good that you don't deserve. You're just the reporter. But anyway. Yeah. There's, so there you go. There's your peak inside the biz. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing that sort of uh, was interesting, Steve Shepard, uh, from Politico, came to APOR. This is not his first rodeo at APOR also. So kudos to him for being a reporter who, uh, you know, comes and hangs out with those of us who are doing this for real. And uh, he wrote an article. He interviewed me. He interviewed Mark Blumenthal talking about this race. And one of the big questions that I talked to him about was, what is turnout going to look like? Is Donald Trump actually bringing new people into the process? Are people going to turn out in an election where you've got a huge number of people who are really disappointed in both of the candidates? Uh, And so, you know, one of the things that came out this week that I think was fascinating was a Politico story that looked at the data about who is actually turning out in these primaries. Donald Trump always says, I'm turning out new voters, I'm turning out new voters. So throw out your old turnout models. I'm going to bring out all of these new voters in Pennsylvania, in Ohio. Um, And what this Politico story found, and they quoted friend of the show, Alex Lundry, on on this topic, is that these new voters that Donald Trump turned out in the primaries are not new voters. They are infrequent primary voters, but they're the sort of people who generally already do show up in general elections. They just don't normally show up in primary elections. Right. They're Republicans. And they're already Republicans. So it's not like there's, you know, a ton of new... So at any rate, it just sort of throws a little bit of cold water on Trump's assertion that he's going to radically remake the electorate. Right. And Alex had this good quote in the story. And this story... So we're going to link to all this in the show notes. So, you know, there's a, the Steve Shepard story about how our pollsters preparing for the unpredictability of Trump. And then there's the Shane Goldmacher, I think, is how you pronounce his last name, story also in Politico looking at all this crunching all this data and um the quote from alex was i thought was very smart was democrats have a lot of voters who 
just don't vote, but they're Democrats. So you just got to go find them and convince them, please, please come to the voting booth. You know, please come vote this year for the first time. And Republicans don't have a lot of those folks. They just, you know, it's not that they don't exist. There's just not as many of them on the Republican side. They are just not voting in primaries, but they're voting in general elections. They're not just, you know, I don't like this voting thing. That's why Republicans do better in midterm elections, because they don't have as many of those low turnout drop off surge voters that on the Democratic side, we spend constant amount of time looking at and thinking about trying to figure out how you get those drop-off, less frequent voters to turn out. So speaking of more thoughts on the role of polling and how our pollsters preparing for the unpredictability, your our Twitter poll about what should we focus on this week overwhelmingly said we should focus on a Nate Silver story. I hope people don't think we were talking about having Nate on today's show because as you can tell, we're in a hotel hallway. (laughs) We don't have any guests today. Um, But he wrote a very long piece and it's been part of a kind of series of posts that a variety of folks, Nate Cohn, another Nate Silver piece. There've been some others in the times and elsewhere about this, like how we, you know, did we get it wrong? What did we do wrong? Why did we see Trump coming? What should we do now? And folks should take a look at it. It's very long, very detailed. It's at 538. And you know, I thought one of the key, a couple key findings from it was this, um, you know, are you looking at the polls only or polls plus? And so for folks who were following the primaries on 538, they would have two ratings, two probabilities. They would have the polls, what does the polling model show? And what does the polling model plus endorsements and other stuff show? And the polls only seem to be a little bit better because then you would just let, you know, you were just really relying on the voters. fall where they may. Right. As opposed to the, well, surely, you know, Trump can win establishment, you know, counterpoint. Um, so anyway, so that was one point. I mean, the other thing is, you know, can you really use polling or can is there a model to predict the truly unpredictable, which is Donald Trump, crazy man, Republican no- slash Republican nominee. <laughs> so there is very little historical context for something really so outrageous happening. Yeah, th- this raises a really interesting debate. And actually, this is in some ways, uh, a similar debate to the one going down at Facebook this past week. So the question is, you know, when you have data that's telling you one thing, um, but then you have human judgment that sort of plays the final role in saying, well, is this real or not? Do we have biases that we can even see uh, that affect how we ultimately, what we ultimately put out? So in this case, your data says Donald Trump is likely the nominee, but you have unconscious biases that say, or conscious biases that say, like, this can't really happen. But look, all of these people are endorsing Marco Rubio or whatever, and like, then that stuff influences what you find. Um, this week, uh, as you may have read in the news, Facebook had a meeting with a bunch of conservatives. I was one of those conservatives at that meeting, and while the contents of the meeting were off the record, everybody's basically talking about what happened anyways. Um, And a big part of the discussion there was that they have things like the data tells them what is a trending topic. Um, But then before that goes out, there are people within Facebook that look at it and make sure, is this really a trending topic? So like every day at noon, lunch is a trending topic, but they're like, that's not really, that's not really a news thing. You know, How often are, is the pollsters a trending topic? I don't know. I don't know. I should. We need to get work people, on it, everybody. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, in the meeting, it was discussed that you, you know, you, if if 
people are going to be involved. Everybody has biases. The more human you add to the equation, the more art and the less science you're dealing with, the, the potentially less good your outcome is going to be. And so it's good to have a diversity of viewpoints if you're going to have people involved. Yada, yada, yada. Anyhow, um, I think a lot that's been written about it has sort of misrepresented some of the viewpoints in the room. But I digress. We don't have to dig into that now on this show. Um, but uh, I, the problem that people have is that like a lot of punditry is, yes, you have data, but then you apply this human filter at the very end, and that's where things can go wrong. That's where I right. went wrong. That's where Nate Silver went wrong. That's The data said one thing. We thought our human judgment was leading us from reading into the data something that maybe wasn't real or just seemed crazy. But no. That's just what's happening. <laughs> well, maybe we should all just, you know, throw caution in the wind and vote for a third-party candidate. So there was a poll out this week, and it was just of Florida and Florida voters, and it was of the by the firm Data Targeting or Targeting Data. And um, Chris Saliza at the Washington Post, a.k.a. The Fix, wrote a story where he was really scathing, just said this was, you know, the worst poll, he, you know, one of the worst polls he had ever seen. Truly, you know, truly terrible, he said. And the reason that that was a joke is because what was interesting about this is they said, would you vote for uh, Republican Donald Trump? Democrat Hillary Clinton or a truly independent candidate? That was the question we're doing. So very explicitly saying a truly independent candidate, which is, you know, putting in a qualifier that you would obviously never see on the ballot. So it's one thing to ask, and this is still a hypothetical, like, would you consider voting for a third candidate? And people are like, well, sure, because who knows? Is that third party, you know, is that third party candidate? You know, Mitt Romney, George Clooney, you know, your mom, who knows? But it, to say truly independent gives some kind of, you know, shine, a little halo to it. Like, well, this is someone who's really going to be outside the system. And people can kind of use it as a Rorschach test and, and make it sound fantastic or think it's fantastic. And then, yes, say, I am going to vote for that truly independent candidate. That candidate sounds great. Um, and so that was what Crystalism was reacting to, that, you know, that obviously that doesn't mean anything about the actual path required for an independent candidate to, one, get on the ballot, to convince Americans that he or she is truly independent. Right. But on a f in, in future weeks, though, one of the things that I think we'll have to start doing is uh, talking a little bit more about how this election is not necessarily just a Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton matchup. So this week, Gary Johnson, who is running for president, I believe, on the libertarian ticket, has announced that his vice presidential running mate will be Bill Weld, former Republican governor of Massachusetts. Uh, so now you actually have what some people are saying is a potentially reasonably credible third-party candidate running will be fascinating to see as more and more polls come out with these folks named and if there's more coverage given to Gary Johnson, if all of a sudden this becomes a three-way race. Yeah, I mean, there have been some polls on Gary Johnson and that there's Bill Weld. I mean, I think that's actually a pretty interesting combination and I think there have been a couple folks who've been tweeting or leaving Facebook messages about it. So if you see a poll with them on there, please alert us uh, on Twitter or Facebook so we can make sure to include it because that I think would be pretty cool. I mean, I think that would be, I mean, you know, that I would like that better for your party than what we have right now. I don't think that's really helping. Giving any. Americans more <laughs> options when they seem so dissatisfied with the main ones that they have. Yes, yes. Can so only lead to things being more interesting. Exactly. So uh, the second runner-up on our Twitter poll, what we should talk about today, it was Pew releasing a study on the sharing economy 
And what was really interesting was how different you, possibly, listener, may be compared to all of America in terms of your participation with the sharing economy. What did you think when you looked at these numbers? What do you Uh, see here? Yeah, so what's fascinating is the way we talk about the sharing economy is not in terms that most people think about. The gig economy is only a term that 11% of adults um, have said they've ever heard. Only 27% say they've ever heard of the sharing economy. Only 39% say they've ever heard of crowdfunding. And this was a survey that was conducted November and December of 2015. So this is the data itself is not terribly fresh. But it was really fascinating that they, this all sort of has come out this past week because if you were at APOR in Austin, you know how hard or it was. Or ACOR. Or ACOR. <laughs> you know how hard it was to get around because like four days before the conference started, Austin passed a, a proposition and uh, the new regulations meant that Uber was going to cease operations and there are really not that many cabs in Austin. So, uh, you know, if you were at the conference, then you, you probably were... Um, Perhaps you were frustrated by the last... Took a horse. (laughs) Took took a horse around. (laughs) Well, it's Texas. So 71% of Americans, though, say they have used or some type of shared or on-demand service. Um, But that's ever. That's not like in the last anything. Right. And, um, you know, 50% say they've purchased used or secondhand goods online, which I guess I had never really thought of like an eBay as the sharing economy. But I guess that makes sense. Um, If you've used programs offering same-day or expedited delivery... Yes. Also, how do you define expedite? Like, I guess, does that mean Amazon Prime? Because I wasn't right. sure I thought Google of Amazon Express. Prime as sharing economy. Right, um, right. So purchase tickets from an online reseller, 28%. Um, purchased handmade or artisanal products online, 22%. That would be Etsy. Contributed to an online fundraising project, 22%. Used a ride-hailing app, 15%. Online home-sharing services. I was actually surprised 11% said yes to this, but it might not just be Airbnb. It might be, like... VRBO and like vacation home rentals that you right. can browse through. Um, if you got deliveries of groceries online from a local store through like, yeah, Instapod, Peapod. I'm amazed that this is not caught on more. I, I mean, I buy. I mean, I know you have to be kind of in a major market, but still, I mean, I know people like to prick out their own vegetables. But it saved so much time. Oh, it was a lifesaver to me when it's I was really... a broke kid who'd moved to Washington and I didn't have a car. And so I could either walk down to the grocery store with my little, like, bag lady cart. Right. And, like, push it up the hill in Roslyn, like, up toward Courthouse, back from the, the Safeway. Or I could Peapod. And yeah. so, like, that wasn't even a decision. Anyhow, Peapod I mean, is not a sponsor of the show, but no. we're just saying it was But super. I am a customer. So then um, uh, about... a quarter of Americans have not used any of these. And what was interesting, I mean, obviously, you know, I recognize living in city that, you know, you're more likely to use some of these. I mean, I would say I've used several of these within the last 24 hours. (laughs) You are part of the 7% that has used 6% or more. Yeah. I mean, I, I use ride hailing amps. I use online groceries. I've bought secondhand clothes for the kids online. I use Amazon Prime. I mean, I've done all of those things. I hired someone online for an errand and task is 4%. I have somebody, uh, a friend of mine who was hiring somebody to stand in line at Rose's Luxury, which is a fancy restaurant here in DC where you can't get reservations. You have to stand in line starting at like four in the afternoon and you can hire someone to go stand in line for you. 
That's, that's kind of like when you like, they hire people like to stand at the Supreme Court. Hashtag 1% problems. I know, right? Um, and then there's 2% of people have used rented clothing or other products um, I for a short done that. time. Rent the runway. I have lots of friends that are I haven't obsessed done that. with rent the runway. That I haven't done. I've not taken the plunge. Apparently, if you buy the unlimited service, it works out to save money because you don't have to pay for dry cleaning. Hmm. Again, we're not sponsored by Rent the Runway. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, no, I, I always forget about it. I'm like, oh, this would have been a good time to use Rent the Runway, but haven't gotten to that. But maybe I have to add that so I can just be like a full completist and do everything on this list. <laughs> Check everything out. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> Sharing economy pro. <laughs> okay, so um, graduates. We know we have a lot of college students and grad students who are among our listeners. And good news, gang. It looks like a record year in amount spent Y'all on are graduation clean gifts. Up. Yes, clean up on the Fa- over five billion dollars is expected, according to a latest survey by National Retail Federation. Always helping us stay on top of the news and holidays with how much people are spending on stuff. And not surprised, the number one present is cash, cold hard cash, which is what every grad wants. That and iTunes gift certificates <laughs> and pens. Although, do they want iTunes gift certificates anymore? No. So Spotify's like the thing now. Or, you know, these streaming services. I was a joke. I mean, you always want cash, <laughs> right? I mean, who's like, oh, no, I really would have liked, you know, yeah. gift card. You got a Target on the way out the door. Uh, gift cards, 31%. Clothing at 14%. Electronics at 11%. Yeah. Cash. Do cash. So okay. what are our key findings? So key findings. There's a difference between offensive and bothersome, but I'd love to hear more research about what Native Americans think beyond just the team name. And Trump's got a pollster, and it's not himself. Expect <laughs> those poll-tested tweets any day now, because definitely not the past ones were poll-tested. We truly appreciate people like Crystal is weighing in on poll questions. Truly. And are you regular part of the sharing economy? That would make you not quite like most Americans. And congrats to our grad listeners. Expect cash, but not from us. From us, we'll give you an RT. <laughs> cash from everybody else. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters. You can find us individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Kesoltis Anderson. Um, visit us at thepolsters.com where you can see our show notes with links to the stuff we've talked about on today's show. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher. Don't forget to write us a review and follow us on Facebook, where each week we will be posting links to stories that we might chat about on the upcoming show. And last but not least, by popular request on Twitter, folks have said, we need some kind of a catchy sign-off phrase. Instead of just getting to the end of the show and we say, bye guys, and like, let the show end, we need a good luck and good night. You stay classy, San Diego. (laughs) We need something fun. That's right. And there was something submitted on Twitter but I don't know that I'm in love with any of the suggestions that we heard yet. So There are no bad ideas in brainstorming. We're we going to crowdsource this, guys. How should we end the show? That's right. Let us know. Okay, thanks. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.